welcome to the AOL podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message. Well, I'm going to say it one more time. Who's happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Well, welcome all these kids inside the room. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to tell you, you guys are the real Christians. You get to go to heaven being in church when it's cold. I, I know this. I, I told uh, in the first service, I told Steve Homer, I said, man, I'm, I'm so glad you're here today. He said, you know, I duck hunt when it's colder than this. How much more important is, is it that I'm in the house of God? Amen. And uh, I know I, I do know this. There's maybe people watching online this morning. If you had tickets to the World Series, I'm sure you would go to that game, even though it was cold. One more time, let's bow our heads together. Lord, be with the Rangers tomorrow night in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 7. And I thought this would be a great text for us to go down together. This is one that even non-believers know the story about Noah building an ark, a plan of salvation for his family. And the title of this message this morning is Get in the Boat Because Your Family is Watching You. Going back to the book of Genesis every year, I love to read the book of Genesis. In fact, I think I love it because I know the end of Exodus and Leviticus is coming where I'm saying, Lord, I want to be faithful to your word, but I need to like, I need some brothers to fight, two twin brothers to fight over a bowl of beans or something. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about, reading the Word of God? And when you get into Leviticus and all this different stuff, I know, I know it's life to us, but sometimes I'm like, Lord, give me a break. But the word Genesis means beginning, so Genesis is fitting title for the book we, uh, we're going to read from today, and it records the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of creation. It's the beginning, because it says in Genesis 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It's the beginning of man. The Bible says he created man in his own image. The next one is to create, uh, it's the beginning of sin, where sin came into the earth. It's the beginning of family. Everybody say family. I want everybody, even the kids, everybody say family. Family, it's the beginning of him starting a kingdom that would outlast all the way through the book of Revelation. It's the beginning of a culture. It's the beginning of an industry. And it deals with the beginning of everything one could possibly imagine, except for it does not deal with the beginning of God. Why? Because God has no beginning. Let's say that again. God has no beginning. Second. The Bible being, in a sense, the autobiography of God, he needs no introduction. I don't know if you've ever seen Steve Harvey before when he was, he said, if I was given the chore to introduce the Lord, how would it be? How many of y'all have ever seen that before of how he does it? And the first thing he says, I'm given an introduction of someone who needs no introduction. I want you to think about it. If you were to write your life story, you would not spend chapters trying to prove that you exist because the very fact that you were writing the book would be verification of your being. Right? And the more I study the Bible, or the more you study the Bible, the more you realize it was composed, not naturally, but supernaturally. It's comprised of how many books, Anson? Very good. We do questions on the way. I may I allude to him, him and Catch on the way to school in the morning and uh, see who buys the Coke. But it's comprised of 66 different 
books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years in three different languages. I talked about this a little bit last week. And what's amazing about this, there is no, not one contradiction in all of it. But there is a unified theme that begins here in the book of beginnings here in Genesis. And it extends through the book of Revelation. That theme is the story of God's creation, his glorious work of redemption. How many of y'all thankful that Jesus bought you back from the curse of the law? Amen. Another thing your kids ought to see you do is amen the preacher. Because if you amen, I'm going to get you out of here quicker, all right? In Genesis chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1. If you know anything about this, there's corruption on the earth, and God's like, I'm about to wipe them out with a flood. And so it says in chapter one, chapter 7 and verse 1, so if there was corruption then, how many of y'all know we better start building a boat right now? It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you with all your household, I have seen as righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean animal you shall take with you seven pair, the male and his female, and of animals is that are not clean, two each, the male and his female. Also of the birds of the air, seven pair, the male and female, to keep the offspring alive on the surface of the earth. For in seven days I am going to cause it to rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy every living thing that I have made from the surface of the earth. So Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of water came on the earth. Now, I don't even know if you register for an AARP card at this point or not. I mean, I know 600, when I was talking about Daniel in the lion's den, talking about him being 83 years old when he was thrown in the den, and I had a voice that was talking like this. And uh, Mr. Dickey back there came to me and said, I'm that old and I don't talk like that. So, I'm sorry for saying that. But can you imagine? I'm sure a 600-year-old man is talking close to this. Would you agree? 600 years old. He, he qualifies for a lot of stuff. Then Noah. Everybody say Noah. And then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark to escape the floodwaters of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and fowls and everything that crawl on the ground. They came into the ark with Noah by two by two. We'll sing the song at the end of the service. The male and the female, just as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, and on that same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the windows and floodgates of the heavens were opened. It rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham, that's a great name, isn't it? And Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wives and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Well, what is the ark in the story? Well, no, number one, it's a big boat. I would love to go uh, to Kentucky. I guess they got a big um, Sculpture, or not sculpture, it's a big boat that you can actually get into. But what does the ark represent? It's a place of safety, right? It's a place of shelter. It's a place of salvation. It also, too, is a place where it brought protection from the flood. How many of y'all know it's important that we have our kids inside the ark? That we have our family, people that we love inside the ark, a place of safety and shelter and salvation, a place of protection. But 
This last year when I read through Genesis chapter 7, there's something that jumped out to me. Because what had happened was, is the Lord uh, warned them in Genesis chapter 6, because of the corruption that was on the earth, I'm giving you 120 years, and I'm going to wipe out the face of the earth, and the only ones that will be left would be Noah and his family. And as I, was, as I began to think about this, I thought the boat was more than just safety and shelter. The boat was this, the ark was, uh, the deeper the water was against the ungodly. And I want you to think about the time and day that we live in. The deeper the water was against the ungodly, the higher the ark got raised up toward God. So what's going on in the earth today and everybody turning their back on the Lord and the corruption. And I talked about the spirit of Antichrist last week uh, of everything and proved to you what all, all the damnation that's happening in the earth today. That's why it's so important, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, that we get our family inside the ark, the place of salvation of Jesus Christ. Because there is floodwaters that are coming up, and there is things that are going to come against the ungodly. But the closer you get to the Lord, how many of y'all know the Bible says that we should go from faith to faith? We should go from glory to glory. We should, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. We shouldn't be walking this way, but we should be walking in the destiny that God has in store for our life. So how long did it take Noah to build, build it? Well, in Genesis chapter 5, I'm going to take you to my Old Testament class at Southwestern Assembly of God University. This was a discussion that came up and more of an argument. How old was he? Well, in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 32, it says, After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father. Now, dad's out there. Can you imagine being 500 years old and having your first kid? How many of y'all know that is a supernatural miracle? Amen? But it says, let me start in verse 6. It said, Now it happened when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons... Of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and desirable, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose and desired. So this is corruption that's happening all over the place. But it says in verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive and remain with man forever, because he is indeed flesh, corrupt, given over to sensual appetites. Nevertheless, his days shall yet be 120 years. Basically what he's saying is there is something that's coming. You better get your act together in the next 120 years because I'm going to send something on the earth to wipe it out. And he gives instructions in this text to Noah because he's a man of righteousness to build this boat for his family. So how long did it take Noah to build the ark? I see, I believe this was 100 years, but how old was Noah when he got the instruction? He was 600 years old when he got in it, and 120 years before that, he got, he, they, I believe that they got the instruction that the flood was coming. So he was 480 years old. Now, that may not be right. You come and argue with me, but this is my message, and it's fitting. All right? I, have, I, I thought of somebody from my Old Testament class that I was going to call in because we disagreed on this. But I want you to think about this because my message this morning is get in the boat because your family is watching you. How many of y'all know, parents, we've got to have an expectation? expectancy of faith and when God instructed Noah to make a place for his sons in the ark he did so 20 years before Noah's first son was even born I want you to think about this 20 years before his sons were born God said to Noah and those of you that are in here that you're single 
Uh, maybe you are a mom or you're a dad or you're at a place where maybe down the road you, you have it in your heart to have kids. I want you to listen up right here. And even in those of you that have kids or maybe you're even grandpa stage, I believe there's something in here to minister to you. He's, he's saying, he's telling him, Noah, you as the leader of your family, you as the patriarch of the clan, you as the father, you as the grandpa, whatever, Noah, Expect your sons and their wives to be in the ark, the place of salvation, with you and with your wife. And as I was meditating on this over the last couple of days, I began to think about so many times in history that it not only ministered to the man or the husband or the dad, but it ministered to the whole family. Could this be why blood on the doorpost during Passover spared not only the one who applied it, but the entire house? Y'all remember the story back in Exodus chapter 12 of this was the last straw that broke the camel's back. And Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, if you don't let my people go, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. I'm not going to sing the song. You know what I'm talking about though. And he goes before him and he says this, if you don't let my people go, what's going to happen is, is there is going to be a death angel that comes throughout all the land. And the firstborn inside of every home, except for the ones that don't have the blood over the door doorpost, the death angel that's going to come in. And, and what, it, what needed to happen was the leader of the home had to pour the blood out of a spotless lamb. How many of y'all know that spotless lamb? When, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How many of y'all know his name is Jesus, and it's important for us as leaders of our home to pour the blood out on our household to protect not just the, the firstborn, to protect everybody inside of the house. I'm saying if you get in the boat, you get in the boat, your family will follow. You get in the boat because your family's watching. It says in Exodus 12, 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Could this be why the Holy Spirit fell not only on Cornelius, but he fell on his whole house? In Acts chapter 10, I love the story. You can go to it and look at it after the service, but I love this story. This is an Italian cohort, and the Bible says that he was a man after God's heart. He loved the Lord, and the Lord comes to him, and he says this. He says, I want you to send some men to go get Peter. And if you know the story, Peter's all the way at a different place. He's at Joppa, and, and he's, up on this, uh, he's up on this roof. And the Lord begins to minister to his heart to prepare him to be, be a witness there inside of Cornelius' home. And I won't read the whole story to you, but it says in Acts 10, 2, it says, A devout man and one who feared God with all his household. And gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Another example, could this be that when Paul, what Paul meant when he, when he said to the Philippian jailer, how many of y'all know when he was in there in the midnight hour? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you and all your house. It says in Acts 16, 31, could this be what the writer of Hebrews referred to when he wrote this in Hebrews eleven seven, 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, 
prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Is this a doctrine? No. If dad gets saved, everyone else will follow suit? No. But I do believe this. If you look at the statistics, when a mom gets saved, it's very minimal. But when a dad gets saved and serves the Lord, it like triples and quadruples the percentage. Is it a doctrine? No, it's not. It's a dynamic. It's a lifestyle. I'm going to say that again. It's not a doctrine. It's a dynamic. It's a lifestyle. By faith, Noah prepared a place for his family on the ark, even before his kids were conceived. So I want to tell you this morning, you open your heart, mom and dad, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and by faith say this, I am believing my sons and daughters and their spouses and their grandchildren and their children's children, do I need to sing the song again, will be on the boat or the good ship of salvation. Amen? Here's the second thing that I was, as I was preparing for this, the first one is expectancy of faith. The second one is an example of faith. When it was time for Noah and his family to enter in the ark, look who went first. He said, on the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him entered the ark. I believe the Bible is wrote by decency and in order. And I believe there's a reason that Noah is first. When it was time for Noah and his family to enter the ark, enter the ark, Noah went first. He didn't say, there's the ark. There it is. Can I have some water? There it is right there. Or whatever that is right there. I just need some of this. All right. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and put that on YouTube. Come and see us. He didn't say, there's the ark. You should go after that. Or, or there's the house of God. Send all your kids. I've seen that many times before. I got something in my throat there. I've seen it many times before where the, where the wife or the mom or the grandma in the house is the spiritual leader of the home. But can I tell you, that's not what God's created through his word to be. Where the dad goes, you know what, honey, you sin... You, you go, there's the ark, kids, go ahead, I'll catch up. No, Noah, what did he do? He led the way, and he did it by being an example. Can I tell you that's the key? Parents, what you are personally will be communicated to your kids individually, and it will impact them very powerfully. And I was trying to think of a great example to share with you guys this morning. I always want to use David. Because he's my favorite in the Bible. So the Lord directed me to use David this morning. Because what does it say about David? I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. And here's a guy that messed up many times before, but God used him. And what I love about it, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, 17, David killed. Very good. He's on it this morning. David killed Goliath as just a young man. and But... As I was reading through the word this last year, the Lord reminded me of something in 2 Samuel chapter 23. The Lord had raised up, or, or, or David had raised up some mighty men under him. And you can see in scripture that these were also giant killers. But you know what's amazing? Most of David's men didn't see him kill Goliath. They became giant killers simply because of their linkage to David. 
Oh, get this in your heart this morning. Most of his mighty men that you read about in First and Second Samuel, they didn't see him march out there in that Philistine camp and kill Goliath, who defies the armies of the living, uh, of the living God. He said, but, but I'm here to tell you this morning, they never saw him do that, but they became giant camp killers simply because of their linkage linked up with David. And dad, I'm here to tell you this morning, and mom, I'm here to tell you this morning, and grandma and grandpa, I'm here to tell you this morning, if you become a giant killer by the way that you live, it's not a doctrine, but by the way you live inside of your home devoted to prayer, to worship the word of God, killing giants all around, your kids' linkage to you, they'll become giant killers as well. And, and so in, in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 8, he's talking about these mighty men. If you want to go ahead and go there with me. Three of David's mighty men are singled out here in this text. And it says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bas, Hebeth, and a Terminite, chief of the captains, also called Adino, the Esnite, because of the 800 men killed at one time. The first one we see right here is Adino. In fact, reading the Amplified, it says the Esnite, a spear because of the 800 men killed by him at one time. So the Bible tells us that he lifted up his spear 800 times and killed 800. How many of y'all know that's a lot of lifting? But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you desire... Kids, y'all listen up. If you desire to be a mighty man of God or a mighty woman of God, parents, if you desire to be mighty in the kingdom of God, the first prerequisite is that you be a person of prayer. Think about this. Lifting up your hands 800 times if necessary until the enemy is defeated. How many of y'all know we as parents need to be parents of prayer? And it might not be the first time that your kids comes back to the, if you have a kid that's not serving God or maybe addicted to something and, you know, living ill repute, living this lifestyle and you're believing God, it may not take just one time to pray. It may take two times to pray. It may take three times to pray. It may take four times to pray. It may take five times to pray. It may not just take one time Sunday night when we corporately pray together to pray for America. How many of y'all know, know America needs more than just ten times of prayer? And 11 times of prayer, it takes, uh, just like here, it took 800. It may take 900. It may take 1,000. But if you desire to be a mighty man of God, you're going to have to pray as much necessary in order for the enemy to be defeated. Think about it. On the mountain, Moses lifted up his hands in prayer as Joshua fought the enemy in the valley below in Exodus 17. To be a mighty man or woman of God, you must be a person of prayer. This is a problem for many believers. Why should I have to keep on praying? Why doesn't the Lord hear my prayer the first time and answer me immediately? If we keep reading about Daniel in the, in the study of Mark, you'll see that he prayed for 21 days and got no answer. I, I believe this. The reason is because it is only as I pray repeatedly about a situation that I find my request wasn't the issue at all. What I have learned in my life is this, spending time with the Lord is what I needed for my soul. See, when I get in his presence, I get rid of my presence. 
You heard me pray that just a while ago because I say that all the time. Lord, I want to be in your presence because in my presence, it's full of strife. It's full of pride. It's full of me. But when I get in his presence, it's fullness of joy. How many of y'all know it would be beneficial to all of us if we spent more time with the Lord than we did doing our own thing? Verses 9 and 10, so if you want to be a mighty man or woman of God, you need to be a person of prayer. The verse, next one, verse 9, next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. I love this name. The son of Ahohi. He was one of the three mighty men with David. When they taunted and defiled, the Philistines assembled there for battle, and the men of Israel had gone. Eleazar stood up and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. I've done that shoeing horses before. My hand has clung to the hammer when I wanted to go home. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The people returned after him only to take the spoil of the slain. Now, the second thing that you've got to have, a prerequisite, if you want to be a mighty man of God, you've got to be one whose hand cleaves to the sword. Eleazar held so tightly that his hand molded around the sword. I want to ask you. The Bible says that the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 is four, it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. If you want to be a mighty man of God, young people, or mighty woman of God, you've got to have a hand that cleaves to this sword right here. Amen? And you need to get you an old-fashioned one like this, even if it's a family Bible that, you know, is crazy big. You need to get you one like this. I have one on my phone, and I thank God for that, and I have all kinds of different illustrations and, and, and different commentary that I love on my... But when I read in the morning, you need you one of these that smells like victory. Because I know when I read it on my phone, you can cast judgment all you want to, but I see that somebody you know, posted a comment on my Instagram photo up at the top. Y'all don't look at me judgmental. You got the same phone. You know what I'm talking about? Or something happened on Twitter, or I got an email, or I got a text message. The devil comes in text messages. <laughs> Amen. And it comes at the top, and then I have to go back to that. How many of y'all know, you need something like here that gets rid of all the distractions in your life. If you're really going to fight the enemy, you need to cleave to this sword right here. Are you hearing me this morning? I, 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 love, I love this one. I've, I've read out of it and preached out of it so much. I've got markings in every book. And when I open it over there, uh, I teach chapel on Thursdays to AOLCA. And at the Grip Building, Yenley and Lucas have, have uh, put all these black lights in. And when, you, when I open up my Bible, see where you can see where it's marked even right here in, in this part of the, the text. It's like psychedelic. All the kids are like, oh, my gosh. That is so wild. Yes, it is psychedelic. How many of y'all know the words that are written inside of this book are supernatural? Are you hearing me this morning? How many of y'all know it's powerful? It glows in the dark. Come on, somebody. Amen. You guys awake this morning? You must be in the Word. You've got to be in the Word consistently and continuously. You cannot grow unless you're, you're, you're taking its consistent Bible teaching and Bible study. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I've had so many people say before, Pastor, how do these scriptures just roll off your tongue? I'll tell you why. Because I learned a long time ago when I was a young man from my mom and dad that got in the boat when I was young. I learned that faith, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I've got to have faith in my life. And faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Joshua marched around Jericho. Come on, by faith. I know I've got to have faith. And I knew this from Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. There's no better person to hear it from than from my own lips. Are you hearing me this morning? I'll try not to scare the kids. But faith comes by hearing. Your faith grows stronger as you take in the nutrients and spiritual calories of the meat of the word of God. Verse 11. Next to Eleazar was Shammah. The son of Agi. He's not saying hook him, I promise you. We are the Aggies, the Aggies are we. The Philistines were gathered into an army where there was a plot ground full of lentils. Let me put this into English for you. This is a ground full of beans. Beans. Other translations, many of you may have that translation where it says full of beans. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the center of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. The third prerequisite, if you're going to be a man or woman of God, and the example we need to let to our kids, we see in Shama's life here is a faithful in his service. Shama's job was to guard beans. Now, I understand this being a fat kid at heart. I'd guard beans, too, especially if they had bacon in there. You know what I'm talking about? You know the good stuff. Kids, are you all awake this morning? I'm going to teach you something. Beans, beans, musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you whistle. The more you whistle, the better you feel. Anson knows it because he lives with me. So lift your butt and let it squeal. Beans. That was a spiritual moment for some of y'all this morning. You won't remember anything I said, but you remember that I talked about beans. When the Philistines attacked, everyone else ran for their lives, but not Shama. He said, I have a job to do. Even if I die, I'm going to guard beans. And because he was faithful in service, he became a mighty man of God. I'm just pointing this out there, not because I'm a pastor of a church, but because I've seen the difference that it's made in my life of having service to the Lord. Maybe your job is changing diapers in the nursery. Maybe your job is serving the homeless, working down at the arena, or teaching children's church, or running a camera, or up here uh, uh, in the band, whatever it is. Maybe it's a part of the host team. You're shaking people's hands, coming inside the door. Let's give it up for all the camera guys. I know I already talked about them, right? I just want to tell you, whatever it is, stand your ground even when everyone else splits. Say that again. Stand your ground even when everyone else splits. We live in a world today where nobody's loyal to anything. Some of y'all go to a different barber every time, and it shows. <laughs> 
churches, there's a church at every corner. People can go somewhere else to get their fill of whatever they need at that time. People are like crack cocaine Christians. I got to go to this dealer over here, and I got to go to this dealer over here, and I got to go to this dealer over here. How many of y'all know there's only one dealer, and his name is Jesus? We've got to be like Shama. Until the king releases you, stick to your job. I said that with passion, I know. But Paul says it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Jesus said the one who is faithful in small things shall be made ruler over great things. How many of all know God's testing us today? I want to ask you, have you stood your ground? Have we kept our commitment? There's one more. I'm going to read 13 through 17, coming to a close. He said, Then three of the thirty chief men went down and came to David at harvest time in the cave of Adullam. While an army of Philistines were encamped at the valley of Rephim, Rephim, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem by the gate and carried and brought it to David, but he would not drink it, but poured it out in worship to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should drink this. It's not the same as the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives. So he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Here's the last one. The fourth and final thing that I see if you're going to be a mighty man of God is seen in the life of David. Not from his mighty men, but it's this. It's worship. David poured out what was the most precious thing to him at that moment. What a creative act of worship. My prayer is that I would sincerely and creatively learn to worship as David did. See, his life was a contrast of the one he loved, the king that was over him, Saul. If you remember the story in 1 Samuel 17, he was intimidated by Goliath. The boy showed up on the scene not intimidated at all. See, in Saul's life or his catalog of mighty men, not one of them was a giant killer. You know why? Because Saul wasn't. What I'm getting at is we're going to be a mighty warrior, a mighty man. We've got, if we want mighty men under us and mighty women under us, we've got to be the mighty leader God's created us to be. You get in the boat, your kids are watching. You think David was watching for Eleazar and Shama? I'm just saying, you get in the boat, your family is watching. Dad, you be a prayer warrior and watch how your kids will be prayer warriors also. You witness at work and watch your kids follow your example at school. Who we are definitely affects what our kids become. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. 
If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app and to choose Arena of Life as your church. And a special thanks to those who make a difference by giving generously. You help us change lives and produce weekly content like this that reaches the world. If you're interested in partnering with us, you can give by clicking the link in our bio through the website arenaoflifechurch.org or through the Church Center app. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and we'll see you next week.